The title of this morning's message is, If You Can. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would minister to us, Lord, as we serve you. We know that at this very moment, you are asking for our undivided attention, Lord, because we know that you have the words of life, and that if we just pay attention, if we just seek to understand, Lord, these words, Lord, that we would grow in our faith in you. That we would realize once more just how faithful you are. And Lord, that all you require of us is to be faithful to you. To be dependent on you. For you are worthy and you are trustworthy. You will never fail us. You will never forsake us. And you love us with an everlasting love. But what you do ask is one thing. And this is dependent upon us. And that is that we trust you. That we recognize that you indeed made the way of being reconciled unto the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. That Lord we must yield ourselves our will to yours and bring you glory. And so, Father, we thank you for this time. Fill us with your spirit. Have your way with us. Teach us all things that pertain to truth. Help us, Lord, in that to be discerning of what is good and what is evil. Father, that we may again choose that which is good, righteous, holy, and bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. To believe is to accept something as true. And what is true is something that is in accordance with fact or reality. Therefore, to exercise our faith in God requires us to believe that what he tells us, God's word, is fact. It is indeed reality. And anything opposite to that is false. Well, how do we prove that we possess faith, that we trust in the Lord, that we believe that God's word is truth? We prove it by our actions. In fact, the word talks about fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's proven by our actions. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Right? It's as good as dead. We can say that we have faith all we want, but if we don't have works to back that up, then it's questionable, isn't it? We can apply that to so many situations. You can apply that to work. You can say that you will, you will, you will when your boss is telling you to do, to do, to do, And you will not prove that you are a good worker unless you do what he tells you or she tells you to do. Is that correct? And after a while, you're held accountable. And then you're fired. 
right? Um, with our kids. I love you, I love you, I love you. We'll prove it. How do I prove it? Well, by obedience. That, that's how we, we prove to our parents that we actually love, we do love you. By our obedience. You know, you apply those, those principles to our relationship with God. And it's the same. Hey, listen. Faith by itself, without works, is dead. Do you accept that as being truth? You see, God has been calling on his creation to believe him from the very beginning. From the very beginning. It's nothing new. It's nothing that we can only find in the New Testament. It's been true from the very beginning. To believe what he says is true. You can go back to the Garden of Eden. Where God gave Adam and Eve instructions. And it was their failure to heed his word that led to sin. Yes, Eve was tempted. But she succumbed to that temptation and she sinned. She did it. But then she turned around and Adam did it, fully knowing what he was doing. From the very beginning, God has expected us to believe that what he says is true. Noah was called by God to build an ark. Noah, at that very moment, had to believe God's word was fact. It was reality. How did he prove that he had faith in God's word? He built an ark for a rain that had never happened up to that day. Think about that. Build an ark. I'm going to flood the world. You've never done that before. What difference is, does that make? Noah had to prove that he had faith in God's word by acting on his word. Abram whom we know as Abraham, was called on by God to leave his country to go to a promised land that his descendants would know and be made into a great nation. How did Abram prove that he trusted in God's word? By sitting there and saying that he believed, I believe you, Lord, you'll do it. And didn't move? No, he moved. He left. He acted on God's word. What's to be said of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David, Nehemiah? And the list goes on. The list goes on. I bring these people up because God has been calling on his creation to believe him from the very beginning. And I just gave you a few examples. That's just a few examples. To believe that what he says is true, is fact, is, it's reality. And to know that nothing is impossible for him. Do you still doubt? There are plenty of examples that prove that nothing is impossible for him and with him. Not to mention creation itself. We can go back to Genesis 1.1. If you, if you don't believe Genesis 1.1, then forget the rest of the Bible. But if you believe Genesis 1.1, then surely you can follow through the rest of the Bible and understand that God is true. This morning, the scripture that we're covering, the section of the Bible that we're going over, presents us with a situation, a problem. But the real problem is not so much the medical issue, and we know that it's demonic possession that is the actual problem, but that's not really the central problem. The, the main issue is... The faith of the people in God's word. Faith being an expression of our total dependence on him. 
We are tested of this very thing when we ourselves are confronted with circumstances, difficulties, health issues, whether it be yours or your children's, your grandchildren's, your mother, your father. You are tested in this on a regular basis. We are tested in that as believers. How we respond reveals where we are in our faith and our trust in the Lord. You see, the problem is exposed by the situation. The, the actual, the, the root problem is exposed by the situation. Are we all talk? Or do we act on what we say we believe? My hope is that as we go through this and we learn the principles of expressing our faith, that we grow in our faith in the Lord and actually act on those things that we say we believe. Not just apply to others, not just say or declare, but that we ourselves would act upon. As we see Jesus, Peter, James, and John coming down off the mountain. They see before them this scene. The scribes are arguing with the disciples that were left behind. We see a father who brings his son to be exercised of a demon and an opportunity for Jesus to address faith and to show that all things are possible for one who believes. Once again, I remind you of one story to serve in as, as an exclamation of what God can do and has done. These are all reminders leading into, if we realize, if we acknowledge these things as being true, then surely we can put this story in its proper context and realize what Jesus is doing in the midst of this situation. Gideon, which we're not going to go back to Judges uh, chapter 6 through 8, but that's where we find the story of Gideon. Gideon started out with 32,000. 32,000 who were willing to go up against the Midianites, whom Gideon was called upon to lead Israel against in order to save Israel from their oppression. The Midianites, well, they amounted to 135,000. But God himself dwindled Gideon's army from 32,000. Too many. Too many, Lord. <laughs> they have 135,000. We're already at a disadvantage. Well, 22,000 went home. Then almost the rest. Can you imagine? God allowed the numbers to dwindle to a place to where the only way that they were going to win is if God showed up for them. 300. 300 against 135,000? You mathematicians can do the odds there and you know, go through all of that, but what's impossible for God? That's the point of that story. Was it true or just some fairy tale? Something to motivate us? Or is it a story that proves once again that God is faithful, that he's trustworthy, and that we can lean on him, we can cling to him? How do you take it? How do you receive it? God did indeed defeat the Midianites. You know what the Israelites did? Once they gathered around the Midianites, they blew trumpets, they broke jars, and they held torches in their hands. Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting, right? But God's the one that did the work, and he destroyed the Midianites. They fled, and the Israelites pursued them. Oh, God alone received the glory. Luke 18, 27 says, but he said, what is impossible with man is, is possible with God. What is impossible with man 
is possible with God. Are you getting it yet? <laughs> there's, there's nothing that is beyond God. The question is, do you believe this? Let's see what Jesus has to say about what's happening here and how we can be built up in our own faith through and by God's word. It's this progression, though, that we see here. We see, first of all, unbelief. We see some belief. We see God's authority and power displayed once again. And finally, how it is that Jesus explains to his disciples that faith requires total dependence. Let's begin again with the whole scene here, and and unbelief is what we see. Verse 14, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Unbelief. Again, initially we see Jesus, Peter, James, John, they're coming down from off the mountain and coming to the other disciples. The disciples are surrounded by a large crowd. And what's happening is that the scribes are arguing with the disciples. We can deduce from the text that the argument was because the disciples failed to cast out this demon from the boy. My question is, if the scribes knew how to cast out the demon from the young boy, why didn't they just do it? Right? Right? I'm just... Absolutely, right? Why didn't they just do it? If you know how to do it. Or, or at least show us how to do it. Right? That would be some good intentions. But that's not what was happening. We know as we go through, even as we saw here, that the father had told Jesus, hey, I asked them to cast the demon out, but they were not able to. And so the scribes and the disciples were arguing. But the scribes themselves didn't do a thing. I heard it said, you'll never be criticized by someone who is doing more than you. You will only be criticized by someone doing less. There's a difference between admonishing and rebuking for the sake of correcting, uh, writing, and bringing someone back into a place of righteousness and holiness before God. And it's quite another to simply criticize to tear down, right? Uh, It's interesting how the world uh, will tear down so that others may climb over them, or show themselves to be more than the other. You know, D.L. Moody, there's a story, I love the story, I heard it years ago, and I'll never forget it. The story goes like this, for D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists um, of our day. Uh, One day a lady criticized D.L. Moody for his methods of evangelism in attempting to win people to the Lord. Moody's reply was, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me, how do you do it? The lady replied, I don't do it. Moody responded, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. (laughs) Normally, the one doing more will encourage you to continue doing what you're doing and even more. I don't know how many of you um, like to just uh, be encouraged by you know other people. I, you know, uh, I'm into sports and you know Kobe Bryant. You know he. Uh, I just listened to just a, a little snippet yesterday of how he was being interviewed, 
And he always did more work than everyone else. He was the first one on the court to warm up and practice, and he was the last one to leave. I mean, he'd spend hours, right? And <clears throat> just working and, and doing what he needed to do to even have an edge on his opponent, right? Do we do that? <laughs> Spiritually speaking, do we do everything we can to, to have an edge over our opponent? Because the opponent's always there, right? But he said one thing in yesterday's little snippet that, that I saw and listened to. He says, you know, I, I, made, um, I made a promise to myself that this is what I was going to give myself to as far as giving of myself to, to working out, to doing what needs to be done in order for me to continue to grow in, in my craft, in the game of basketball. And he said, I needed a sacrifice, though. All those invitations, all those things that I, I, I could have gone and done, I didn't do. But I was true to my word, and I did what I said I was going to do. And we know. We know that Kobe, oh, it was awesome to watch him play, wasn't it? For those of you who follow basketball and you, you've seen Kobe Bryant play, uh, you, you saw how amazing it was to just watch him play. Michael Jordan was the same. Uh, just absolutely amazing. Listen, it's people like that will, that will not criticize you to break you down. But rather, it's those type of people that will build you up, encourage you to do more. To grow. To rise to the occasion. Those are the people that you need to surround yourself with. Not the scribes. The scribes weren't doing anything. They were just arguing. They were just criticizing. That's all they were doing. The one who criticizes only wants you to stop doing what they already are not doing. Don't make me look bad. Hey, that's why at work, by the way, that's why at work, you have people that don't like you going the extra mile because they definitely are not going the extra mile. In fact, they're not meeting the mile that they should be going. Don't make me look bad, bro. <laughs> Listen, instead we as Christians are called to encourage each other as we ourselves are doing what we should be doing. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? That's what the Apostle Paul Wrote. It's scripture, though. It's a verse in the Bible. It's not optional. Sometimes we, we, we pick and choose. Oh, that's optional for me. Oh, I wish one day I could attain to that. No, listen. Choose to be there. Choose. You make the choice every day. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir each other up Stir, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, uh, stirring up means to agitate. You agitate. In that agitation, what needs to come out and come to the surface is love and good works. And all the more. As we gather together to stir each other up to loving good works as we see the day approaching. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Today is all we have. Tomorrow is not promised. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's the whole goal. You know, sin is deceitful. And as we gather together, we're encouraging one another to take our eyes off of the deceitfulness of sin and place it on the holiness and the righteousness of God, the good, goodness of our Lord. Well, that's the situation that we have happening between the disciples and the scribes. There's such excitement, and the crowd was gathering around them and at the moment Jesus came down and they saw him, being amazed, they ran up to him and greeted him. 
They left the arguing disciples and scribes to themselves, and they went off and greeted Jesus. And then Jesus turned around and asked them, what, what are you arguing about? Not that Jesus didn't know what they were arguing about, but this is, this is confession time. What, what, what are you arguing about? Think about this. What are you arguing about, right? But it was the father of the boy that answered, explaining to Jesus how he had brought his son because he is possessed by a spirit that makes him mute and deaf, and he convulses him. What is described here, we would more than likely regard as epilepsy. But the father, with Jesus' agreement, attributed this to a demon, which I believe is true of many today who are exhibiting similar symptoms and others. We term them as mental illnesses, right? And we, we, have, we spend so much money trying to figure this out. I think with many situations, it's as simple as this. It is demonic oppression, possession. They are not in their right mind. Well, Jesus was not available at the time the father brought his son. Since he was up on the mountain with three of the disciples. And so the father of the child asked Jesus' other disciples to cast out the demon. Jesus isn't here. You're his disciples. I want you to cast out the demon from my son. But they failed. They were not able to do so. You know, we need to consider what's been already stated about their power and authority. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So they already had authority over the unclean spirits. So what happened here? Well, it seemed that the demon was more powerful than Others, perhaps, that they had previously encountered. But Jesus will later tell them how, quote-unquote, this kind can be driven out. There's unbelief is what we see initially, but then we see some belief in verses 19 through 24 as we continue. Verse 19 says, And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, and Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if he can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. After Jesus was told that his disciples were not able to cast the demon out, he made this general statement. He answered them, them meaning all who were around him, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. This was a general statement. You know, if we, if we find offense in that, we need to realize how short we always fall in regards to demonstrating a full faith toward God. Because again, the apparent medical issue was not the problem. It wasn't even the demonic oppression. But rather, their lack of faith. That's what the problem was, their lack of faith. Because we know that this was not the only instance. Like, this is the only person who is demonically possessed who is exhibiting these types of symptoms in the whole world? 
Listen, Jesus did not come to heal everyone that was sick or demon-possessed, but he came to give his life a ransom for many, according to Mark 10.45, to seek and save the lost, according to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He came to atone for our sins and therefore is the way of being reconciled unto the Father by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If salvation is all we've come to know in this life, it is enough. The rest should be a display of our gratitude of the salvation that we have come to know by faith or by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. For the one who believes already has eternity secured in the glory of God. Therefore, we live with thankfulness in our hearts, with gratitude in the depths of our soul. For our hope is certain. Jesus is the way. As he said in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, God has always from the very beginning desired that we simply believe him, trust in him, abide in him, find refuge in him. Immediately, the demon convulsed the boy. And Satan and his minions seek to always steal, kill, and destroy, according to John 10.10. Satan and his minions and his workers, they will lie, deceive, manipulate, tempt, accuse, falsify for the purpose of destroying the person. That's always the purpose. For this boy, it was no different. It was no different. So you can imagine, again, Jesus is there with the father, the boy, the disciples. And as the boy is convulsing, Jesus didn't go to the boy and tend to him. But he asked his father, how long has this been going on? And his father answered him. You see, it was to further show that this demon had been trying to kill him. And he confessed, yes, absolutely, he's trying to destroy him. That's what he's trying to do. Whether it be by fire or water, it doesn't matter. He casts him into water to drown him. He casts him into the fire to burn him. He wants to destroy him. It was a confession But at the same time, the father admitted in his own words that he wasn't sure if Jesus really could do anything. But if he could, then the father was asking that Jesus be compassionate toward them and cast out the demon. And Jesus took the man's own words, if you can. And turn them around and on him to help him understand that it was not a matter of whether Jesus could or could not. But whether the man believed in Jesus. Why did these things happen? Why, did these, why are these stories in the Bible? Well, John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. By believing. These happened and are written so that we may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It says it right there in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Why are these things written? Why do we have these stories that we may believe? And have life in Jesus Christ, that we may know salvation in him. And so Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And then we have this beautiful display of this man's confession. I believe. Help my unbelief. Listen, let's not concentrate on the latter part, please. 
Sometimes we, we even boast in our unbelief. So many things, you know, and, and it, like as if it's a virtue or something, like it's something to boast about. It's not something to boast about. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please him. What I'm saying by that is our society, in fact, there is a movement within um, the church to deconstruct, forget everything that we've known. I, I really don't know if I really believe what I've said in the past. I believe and, and so I'm going to go ahead and not believe all of that and, and just, uh, I don't know, be built up in whatever. What that's doing is, is leaving ourselves open to the ways of the world. Let's not boast in our own faithfulness. Let's just boast in the fact that we know God, that we believe in Jesus Christ, and know that those things that we have read and come to know, we truly received and embraced. And taken to be true. This man confesses, I believe. Help my unbelief. This man was not rebelling against Jesus. He was not critical of him. He was not being sarcastic. But he did know that he had very little belief. And many doubts and pleaded with Jesus to help him with his unbelief. In other words, do something with my belief. I know I have doubts. I know all of that. But please do something with just the little portion. I am desperate. I want you to move on what I do believe. The man cried. He was desperate. Have you ever come to the place to where you're desperate, Lord? I, I need you to do something with what I do know and what I do believe. I trust in you, Lord. Please move. How did Jesus help him in his unbelief? Well, I started out with this whole list of God's faithfulness to help our unbelief, to help us understand that that which we have come to believe is true. How did Jesus help him? By showing the father of this boy that Jesus is who he says he is and is able to cast out the demon. Listen, going back to Gideon, Gideon kept asking for more confirmation from the Lord. We know, right? The fleece, the fleece, the fleece, you know. Let's, let's see more, more confirmation, Lord. He wanted more confirmation from the Lord to know that he was indeed supposed to go up against the Midianites and used by the Lord to save Israel. Talk about Moses. He had his own issues. Aaron, his brother, had to be sent to help him out for a time. But God obliged Gideon God obliged this father. But God doesn't have to. A person cannot acknowledge their little faith without having some faith and realizing they don't have much faith considering what faith they should have. When you have a little faith, you realize, oh, I fall so short. And that is exactly what this man did. He had some belief. And then we have the authority of the Son of God's power and authority displayed. We see it all on display here. Verse 25, as we continue, says, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. You see, this was, again, a display of Jesus' authority over the demon. There's nothing above our God. 
And Jesus simply commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him and commanded the demon to never, never enter this boy again. We can rest assured knowing that the demon never entered the boy again. Why? Because I keep going back to his word. Do you believe his word? That he has the authority and power. He is sovereign God. He is God Almighty. And what he says is true. There, we have to come to a point to where we believe fully. I, all I have to do is investigate it a little further. And I realize that what he's saying is true. Again. Oh, and then again, and again, and again. No, we can rest assured that demon never again entered that boy. I am 100% certain. Why? Because I am 100% certain that God, God's word is true. That's it. But upon the demon's departure, you see what he's doing? The demon is, upon his departure... He's leaving and doing this work on this boy. He doesn't leave him peacefully. No, the demon tried to do as much damage on his way out that he possibly could. To the point that the boy was considered dead by all those that were around. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. Jesus demonstrated his authority and power over the unclean spirit in that very moment to show that he is who he says he is. And this whole situation was to help the man's unbelief. That his doubt may diminish and his confidence in Jesus increase all the more. Consider the many instances throughout Scripture. What, what, more, what more do you have to know? What more do you have to hear? What are you waiting for? It's the prophecies that have been fulfilled, the miracles that have occurred and been performed, and the many miraculous acts of God within your own life. You know, the one event that the Israelites were always pointed back to was God's deliverance from Egypt. Truly miraculous. Just a reminder, once again, I want to remind you of how it was that God delivered you from Egypt. Again, I want to remind you of how it is that God delivered you from Egypt. Just, just that one event alone was all they needed to realize that God is faithful and he's able In Philippians chapter 2, not Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2 verse 8, it says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, one day every knee will bow. All know that Jesus is Lord. Will you do it today? Do you do it today? Well, Jesus showed his power and authority over the demon and had compassion on the, the, the son and the father and he cast the demon out. Unbelief, some belief, God's authority and power displayed. And finally, as we wrap up, faith requires total dependence. Verse 28 says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Of course, at this point, when all this was happening, we don't hear a peep from the Scribes or the disciples, right? The scribes were silent. The people are amazed even more. The father's overjoyed and filled with faith. But the disciples were obviously still thinking about why they failed to cast out the demon. 
After all, after having appointed the 12 apostles, Jesus was sending them out to preach and, it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 15, have authority to cast out demons. And again in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So what happened here? What happened here? And they were thinking about this. It's good for the disciples to be thinking this way. Jesus did make a general statement declaring a faithless generation, referring to the people as the present generation. He was addressing them. And yet we see how it is. Remember, his great commission is to make disciples of all nations. This is an example. Because Jesus uses yet another situation to instruct his disciples and point out the reality of the matter. What's the reality of the truth? The truth of the matter. And then tell them why they couldn't. This is why you couldn't. In some translations, it is added, and fasting. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. You see, prayer is an expression of dependence on God, but prayer and fasting is an even greater expression of dependence on God. Have you ever spent a a time, days, fasting? Oh, it's amazing how we begin to focus on the Lord. Our dependence on Him becomes much greater. We draw closer to Him. And when we say we are drawing closer to God, it's not some mystical thing, something that... We can't measure. In fact, it is measurable. Because it means that we are choosing to be more dependent on him, to do as he wills, and to yield to his authority in our lives. To just simply trust in him. And it's shown, it's revealed by the manner in which we conduct ourselves. The way we are with each other. how we act upon that which we have declared. Well, I know my wife yesterday talked about cultivating, cultivating our joy in the Lord. But how can faith be cultivated? Well, through spiritual discipline and devotion. Spiritual discipline and devotion. As we wholly give ourselves to trusting in the Lord, in fact, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and, he, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Spiritual discipline and devotion consistently will draw us to denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following. That means trusting in the Lord. So put your complete trust in God and you will never be disappointed. Why did they fail? Because they didn't pray and fast. Therefore, they were not trusting enough in God to do what is only possible with him. Perhaps they were just trusting in the fact that, oh, well, he already gave us authority over these demons, so what do we need to do but just cast out the demon? No, pray. Pray. Seek the Lord. If need to, just pray and fast. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which means we are who we are in its entirety is to be given to the Lord and to his glory. Let's grow in our faith. If you can. Can you? Luke 18, 27 says, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. But the question again is, do you believe this? Your weaknesses can't stop you, but your disobedience rooted in disbelief can derail you. Your disbelief and unwillingness to do what is true can prevent you from seeing God do things that are impossible with man. You got to get beyond yourself. You got to, it beyond your hard heart. How? By just simply yielding to the Lord and believing in Him. What is too difficult for God? 
because it's not a matter of what God can or cannot do. There's plenty of evidence that proves he can. Plenty. The question is whether you believe in him for salvation through Jesus Christ alone and for everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Do you believe that? Father, however you choose to do so, whatever it is that you want to bring to mind, Lord, I pray that we confess, Lord, to you that we, we believe. Lord, help us to grow in that faith, that little bit of faith that we have. And learn to yield to you, to trust in you, to know that you are faithful. That salvation is as you said. You said, set that the plan of salvation forth from the very beginning. And it's through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ, by believing on him. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, your word says we shall be saved. What are we waiting for? How much more proof or evidence do we need to come to that place to where we surrender ourselves to you? I pray, Lord, that today be the day of salvation for anyone who is uncertain about what is beyond this life. Well, It's hell to those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, eternal separation from you. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the way to the Father. I pray, Lord, that today be the day of salvation. And Lord, for the church, for the believers, Lord, that we would be encouraged, built up in our faith. And we would express that faith by the manner in which we live in the manner in which we live our lives with each other. I thank you, Lord, for your truth, your word. In your name we pray, amen.